0: Making Rainbow Waves, a podcast by ILGA World. Welcome everybody to Making Rainbow Waves, a podcast by ILGA World, telling the stories and raising the voices of LGBTI human rights defenders worldwide. My name is Daniele Paletta, and in this episode, we're going to talk about Pride. We have a very special guest, Julian Sanjevan, who is the co-president of Interpride, the global organization that brings together pride organizations from around the world, as well as regional, national, and local pride networks. We came together to talk about their personal story, how the pride movement has made it through the COVID-19 pandemic, and so much more. Here's what they told us. I first wanted to start um, by asking uh, about your personal story. Uh, and how did you get into activism for LGBTI rights and into the Pride movement?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I was actually born in Malaysia. I grew up in Malaysia. Um, I've been in the United States now for, um, come August, will be exactly nine years. I got my asylum granted here in the United States. Um, back in Malaysia, um, I started my career doing a lot of um, events, training, programs, et cetera. And, you know, I I even started out my own company, focusing on corporations and all of that. Um, I got into advertising, but at some point in my life, I realized, you know, um, this is not what I really want to do. I really want to be able to give back to the community, and I, as I started accepting myself more, um, but I think you know, being in a country like Malaysia, it was very difficult. We don't have the type of legal environments that just really allows for us to be you know up and around, you know up and about screaming proudly that we're gay. You know, it's it's just a very dangerous environment um, um, to be really out and open. Um, so knowing that being part of the community and I felt like, you know what, that's where my passion lies. I started getting, I started volunteering, started volunteering with a nonprofit called the PT foundation. It's one of the biggest nonprofits in Malaysia dealing with HIV and AIDS. And they also work with um, um, a lot of the community on gender, sexuality um, issues around HIV and AIDS is the priority. Um, And so by volunteering, conducting training sessions, um, I realized really what I, was passion- what I was passionate about. So I gave up my corporate job, got into nonprofit world. Um, I became the HR director and eventually, you know, um, it was I was there for a few years. Um, but through that experience, I realized the challenges that we had to deal with, with the authorities, with the government. Um, there were some really um, scary moments that we'd actually experience. I personally experienced too. It's. I think at that point when I really wanted to start doing activism more actively, um, I started noticing violations um, that the community that we were serving, and so given the work that we were doing, um, I realized how much of a problem and challenge they faced with authorities. For example, um, if there were sex workers and if they were transgender and you know and also doing sex work, the experience with um, the authorities was was really awful. You know, there were so I started noticing a lot of this kind of violation. And so to me it was very frustrating, you know, even though I was doing HR, but you know, I started doing a lot of programmatic stuff and I started getting into advocacy and all of that. And started getting meetings together with the and you know the, the local police authorities to bring awareness and how can we address this so a lot of those things. So yeah, I think that's when it really be you know started. And moving to the United States I just started focusing a lot more on Issues pertaining to the community. I'm being an immigrant myself and having won my asylum, so I'm really passionate about working for the community. Issues that affect the community as well, and of course, being a person of color myself and non-binary, um, those are also issues that are very personal to my heart.
0: Oh, it's very, very good to he- to hear all all of this, and and thanks for sharing your story with us. And um, how did you come to to Interpride and can you tell? Tell us a little bit more about what Interpride is and does.
1: Interpride is um, actually, um, it's like an, um, it's pretty much an umbrella organization um, for pride organizers around the world, right? Um, and thus the name Interpride, you know, it's international pride. And we represent about 400 members from about 70 countries from around the world, um, and um, of course, we, you know, through our Pride Radar initiative, where we try to identify where the Prides are around the globe, we recognize you know, there are anywhere between um, 1,200 to 1,500 Pride organizations around the world. And Pride looks very different, right? And so even though we may have 400 active organizations who are members, but we're technically representing all of these Pride organizations. Um, and so InterPride, really, our focus is bringing Pride organizations together Um, networking, education, support, you know, sending in solidarity, advocating for issues that's affecting the community that we serve. So these are some of the core areas that we really focus on, and that's what we do. Um, We are uh, almost 100% volunteer-run. We used to be for many, many years. We recently brought in part-time help just two weeks ago because, you know, the growth that we've been seeing. But, you know, we're pretty much still a volunteer-run organization um, and spread out throughout the organization. Uh, Sorry, throughout the world. Um, Our leadership team is, you know, from all of the different continents, um, various countries, very diverse team. Um, And so we're really proud of that. Um, But, you know, of course, there's always room for improvement, but we represent a global um, audience. And um, so through some of the work that we've done, you know, uh, some of the work that we are doing and have done in the past include World Pride. Uh, World Pride is our signature event. We own the brand. Um, We license it to uh, different cities. So this year, it's going to be in Copenhagen um, in uh, 2021. And Copenhagen is focusing a lot on human rights as well in their event. Um, And then 2023 is in uh, Sydney, Australia. We're really proud that this is the first time it's going to a country in the Southern Hemisphere, which we have never really hosted before. And so there are, you know, bidders for future uh, hosts. And, And then we have Global Pride. We hosted Global Pride for the first time last year. Um, there was an opportunity to bring folks together from around the world um, on a virtual platform when the pandemic happened. You know, it affected a lot of us in the community quite significantly. Pride is an opportunity for us to come forward, come together. For a lot of people, it's when they come out, you know, and that was taken away, right, with the pandemic. Um, and it's also important to understand the members that we serve are not just big names like New York City Pride, Sydney, Marigua, or you know, Paris and London, you know, no, there are so many of them that are really small pride organizations in small towns in regions that some of us may not even have heard of, you know, and, you know, they could look very different, right. They could be a picnic or a cycling event, you know, and de- depending on where you are in the world, pride looks different because of culture and law, you know, so global pride really brought all of these people together virtually, you know, hundreds of um, hundreds of different entries over oh, nearly 60 million viewers. So that's something that we did. And we raised a lot of money and we gave back to a lot of the Pride organizers because essentially people need to understand that Pride organizers, even though they are organizations, but they represent an entire community that they're serving, right? Um, a lot of our members are organizations that are one-stop centers. They provide multiple services and Pride celebrations are just one of them. ROPE, which is a racism and oppression awareness program is something that we introduced last year. Um, to really talk about racism and oppression. That's that's a major issue um, that's, you know, that's been around for centuries, but really it's with the George Floyd, you know, incident, the death of George Floyd and how that brought about, um, you know, the Black Lives Movement was a lot more visible around the world, not just in the United States. And so racism and oppression became a major dis- a discussion around the world. And that's something that we wanted to embark on to educate our members support and, you know, share resources. So um, these are just examples. There are many more, you know, like the Solidarity Fund, which we created to support folks around the world. Um, And so these are things that enterprise does, and that's what enterprise is about.
0: Starting from 2020, the whole world has been battling with the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic. Many were left struggling to survive in a world that has become even more unequal and violent. LGBTI communities were left particularly vulnerable. And in many places where laws were already a cause of inequality, things have only got worse. We asked Julian how Pride organizers have made it through 2020 and what is the situation for the Pride movement at the moment?
1: I think 2020 was a disaster for all of us, right? <laughs> I mean, it just uh it just happened so quickly, and everyone around the world was just, you know, was just taken by surprise. And it um it's it really affected us significantly in 2020. Um and it was so close to Pride Season 2. And I think for a lot of people that uncertainty was you know, people were starting off with, okay, you know, we're going to have a mar- we're going to have a march, we're going to have this pride festival, we're going to have concerts and then all of that stuff, and then everything had to change. You know, some people had already signed up sponsors, signed up vendors, secured locations, and brought you know, planning to bring in temporary staff members. You know, everything had to change overnight. Um, at first, I think people like, what do we do? You know, how do we go about it? Yeah, um, uh, and then. Um, questions around so what do we do then you know we cannot just not do anything you know pride still needs to happen and you know and so there's a lot of conversation around exploring virtual components started right i think um it is a very you know very quickly there's the progression and i must say you know pride organizers generally we are very resilient bunch you know i think you know generally the lgbtqia population we just have to be resilient given how difficult you know, a situation that we're in, you know, the discrimination and all of the struggles that we face, we're just naturally resilient and strong. So we just came up, you know, we had to come up with solutions and figure out and, and keep, you know, um, moving on that way. Um, it was, it didn't mean that it didn't impact us. I think there's a lot of, you know, emotional, psychological impact on so many different levels. Um, the trauma of it all, just knowing that things are happening so quickly, you're losing a lot of stuff very quickly, whether it's um, employees, the possibility of not knowing whether your organization will be around anymore. Um, you know, uh, not being able to come together, meet people, especially for the queer community at large, you know, the LGBTQIA plus community, we rely a lot on our chosen families, right? And not being able to interact with each other was significant. Now, a year, more, a little bit more than a year in 2021, for many of us in, you know, certain parts of the world, um, there's hope, you know, for the first time with the introduction of vaccinations and the effectiveness of, you know, other, you know, uh, like testing and social distancing and all of that is, you know, we're seeing results, especially through vaccination. But there also it's important to keep in mind that some of us are more privileged. And and so I think for Pride organizers, uh, looking at all of this, you know, there's hope we know we can start planning Um, You know, and the one thing I feel that strongly 2020 has impacted is how can we make our events more accessible for folks who have never really had the opportunity to be actually part of the celebrations? Because with doing it virtual, you've literally opened up our events to the whole world. You know, folks from the Middle East, folks from parts of Africa, South America, Asia, um, Eastern Europe, you know, people who... Don't really get to do a lot of this. Are suddenly, uh, you know, visible and able to see this, and they're also able to share and organize their own. And so, you know, that impact is so significant, um, and that's something that people want to try, try and do more, and still keep doing. And that's something that I feel is really important—a lesson that we all have, or at least something precious—the silver lining, if I may say, from the pandemic that we have come up, come out of. Um, and so, you know, a lot of folks are looking at hybrid events. Um, that's becoming a major discussion. And that's good. That's really, really good because it makes us more accessible, like I said earlier. Um, and But at the same time, the reality of it is many, many of our um, LGBTQIA family around the world don't have the same privilege. For them, they're still thinking about safety and their health. So I think it's important for us to also think about you know that for a second and what can we do you know um, to support. Another trend that I'm also noticing is a lot of the pride organizers, and so they are looking at, okay, let's give a little bit more time. Let's plan to do our virtual uh, in-person events later this year. So we're starting to see a, a, a significant increase of number in numbers in terms of in-person events that are going to be happening in September, October, and November. You know, most events tend to happen around this time of the year, but a lot of events in person events are moving towards the end because they still want to make sure that we have that people understand we have a responsibility to make our events safe. Safety is a priority.
0: I see. Uh, and, and yeah, you ma- you mentioned global pride and I, I can only imagine how, uh great but also stressful on the organizing side it must have been for all of you involved Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and yeah i wanted to i wanted to ask you if you have a memory of of that like if if you had to share like one memory of the day what would that be
1: i remember being very emotional Mm -hmm. and and i'm trying so hard not to get emotional right now because um it's 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 a lot of work right um and knowing how the pandemic had affected every one of us and, and you know including myself um it, you know seeing all of the celebrations and people coming together online was just phenomenal when, I, when it started i remember watching and then crying because i was just so emotional seeing all of it come together and then i went and slept for like a couple of hours came back and i was watching again and I was crying again. <laughs> it's, it, it's not that I'm, you know, it's just tears of joy and tears of just being overwhelmed and seeing all of this come together. So I remember that distinctively. But I also remember how um, just looking at how pride is celebrated and represent the representation, you know, looking at folks from the Middle East, folks from, you know, Southeast Asia, folks from um, Africa uh, communities, you know, putting the content out there. Being in, being in the United States for you know in, for nine years now um, I'm used to seeing you know how pride looks like here you know for a while now um, but then when seeing that I haven't had the privilege to traveling to many parts of um, the world especially in the global south for pride um, I was in India last year just before the pandemic to celebrate pride there in Mumbai um, and it's a very interesting experience it was my first time to India I've never been there and seeing just how the community, celebrating was really it was very it was an eye-opening experience for me as well. So seeing all of that online, you know, the dances, the the representation and the different way people were expressing, it was so empowering. So so empowering, you know, and that's why I was overwhelmed. We did this. Like we put this together in such a short period of time, you know, with the entire world watching, you know, almost 60 million people. Um, It was a lot and it's just, you know, it's a sense of achievement that I think it's important to recognize because it was a community coming together
0: to do this together. One very important topic remained to be discussed in this conversation. The connections between the Pride movement and the broader human rights work. Here's what Julian told us. I have the feeling that sometimes uh, you know the the very visible moment of pride, like the marches and all the events, uh, sometimes uh, like kind of overshadow all the human rights work that the pride that the pride movement does. Also in in the eyes of our communities, and I, I and of course I know, we know that that's not the case. So uh, my question to you was um, how um, how do pride and human rights work connect?
1: both are not mutually exclusive <laughs> they're not i mean pride is a human rights um component like when you think about it the stonewall uprising you know the, the a year after the stonewall uprising the first pride March happened here in new york city and in many other cities around the country here in the united states um you know, in parts of the world that's still used as a major landmark, like, you know, even in Germany, for example, they still call it the CSD Day. Um, and so it's it has had its impact. And that is human rights. Like, you know, the fact that we, uh, you know, we rose up and we fought back because we were being oppressed. It how can that not be, you know, us advocating for our community? You know, so that's why uh, I think we need to take a moment and recognize that this is this is part of the human rights work that we do. You know, going out there, organizing um, in an environment that you have so many different um, resistance, it's not easy. You know, it's about visibility. It's about making people know we are here, we are queer, and we're proud. And, you know, that is, that is a huge component of what human rights is about. You know, the fact that, you know, in many parts of the world, people can't even do that, and they want to do that, and they're arrested or they're, you know, they're killed for being even for even trying to do that, you know, that, that sort of, that's, that's you know, that, that human rights, that it's a human rights violation by itself. So the ability for us to speak up and have our voice heard in a platform like Pride is about human rights, end of the day. You know, I don't think human rights is just sitting in the United Nations and, you know, having your voice heard. And, you know, it's not just about making legislation, legislative change. Yes, don't get me wrong. All of this are very important. It has to happen but they all work together. We all work together. We all come together and we do our parts. We are trying to do more. We are hoping that in the years to come, we will have more formal representation in specific decision-making organization on a global level that can bring, you know, can really uplift the community a lot more, have more of a voice. Um, But in the meantime, you know, we are still going to do what we do, bringing pride organizations together and keep uplifting them so that they in turn can do what they're doing in terms of human rights which is letting people organize pride for the community because it's what brings us together whether you're protesting whether you're celebrating pride is how you choose to express
0: I think all of this and and, and all of the work that you uh, pride organizers do deserves the recognition because it really brings all the community together so uh, thank you for Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much, Julian, for being here with us today and for all the conversation. And I hope we will continue to be working together for our communities.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. This is amazing. And I enjoyed talking to you. Um, thank you. Um, thank you. For all of the work that you, that you do as well for ILGA. And you all are doing such an amazing work. I must say, like, even my presentation that I did, and I do regularly talk to people, I use a lot of information from ILGA. So... Thank you for the work that you all do. Thank you so much.
0: Making Rainbow Waves is a podcast by ILGA World. This episode was hosted by Daniele Paletta and edited by Nazl Mayuk. You can find every episode on all streaming platforms or on ilga.org.